The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. We got so much on the docket today, we cannot waste a moment. But that doesn't mean we can't spend valuable moments on things that deserve our time. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. Monday, we're back. It's a new week. We got the reverse chronological lightning round coming up today. We got a visit from our buddy Pedro Doreste, a little keep the change action on the podcast, who balls assistant editor on the fantasy side, bringing the big time data once again. That's coming up here on today's program. And also, today is the ending of our week-long contest that was being run through the Hoopball Fantasy Twitter page. So if you happen to listen to this show, basically first thing, right when it gets released, navigate on over to the Hoopball Fantasy page and go to an 8 a.m. Pacific Time tweet from last Monday. Make sure you retweet it, sign up for the Bruise Letter, and you get entered into a contest where you could win either a free premium membership, you could either be a... You could potentially appear on a podcast here at HoopBall as a special guest. You can be in a pro league next year. Pretty cool prize. You get to pick one of the three. So make sure to do that in your your waning moments here. For If for no other reason than the fact that the Bruise Letter is also coming out today. So you want to get on the newsletter before that happens as well. The HoopBall newsletter coming out weekly on Mondays. Aaron Bruski direct to your inbox these days. Pretty remarkable stuff and always free. No other place to get it. Spin around the league, both regular, fantasy, it's got all the good stuff. Big thank you to everybody that keeps rating and reviewing the podcast. You guys are amazing. Those of you that haven't done it, please continue to do so. Drop that five-star review on the show via iTunes or the podcast app on your mobile device. And finally, last note before we really dive in headfirst and then steamroll our way through all the good stuff is we are still looking for blurbers. The Blurb recruiting push is back on officially. We got open shifts. If you want to learn how to write fantasy and cover the news for fantasy, basically, you know, if you follow our HoopBall Fantasy Twitter account, you see that that stuff is churning out all the time. Every piece of news is relevant to the fantasy community. You would be, for some shift during the week, responsible for that. Hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or just search for Dan from HoopBall. On Google, and it'll pop up. My Twitter handle is one of the first ones. If you don't have social media, hit me up via email. You can send it attention Dan to team hoopball at hoop-ball.com. The folks that run the email accounts will make sure that gets sent over my direction. So check that out. Come on, join the team. I mean, if you do other stuff, you can hit me up as well. But obviously, right now we are looking for the blurbers, someone that's gonna stick it out here as well, can handle it. It's a load, man. It's a lift. All right, I want to dive into the fantasy stuff now. We got reverse chronological lightning round Monday, which it's Monday, so obviously you got to do it today, where we go back through the weekend, and this is really what ties the podcast together with the end of last week. I like to use that phrasing because it makes me think of the big Lebowski. The rug, man, it really tied the room together. This Friday show, reverse chronological lightning round, on Friday, we preview the weekend. We look at every team's next game and say, this is what we're looking for. And then today, every Monday, we go back and we say, well, what happened? What were we expecting to happen? What did we see shake out? What moves do we condone being made 
here on the podcast. So let's jump right into that now. On Sunday, we'll start with Sunday. We'll work our way backwards again. Every team's most recent basketball game. We will, of course, preview the Monday card. But luckily, we don't have to dive in real deep on the betting side anymore because Hoopball has a brand new podcast. And I'll tell you about that midway through today's show. Sunday, everything was done by, geez, dinner time out here on the Pacific Coast. Allows me to do part of this podcast the night before, which I always appreciate. We'll start with the early one, of course, Miami Losers at New York. Man, the Heat are really a team that gets caught with their pants down kind of club. They have some of the most impressive wins, and then they go out on the road, and they just, like, I think they lost to the Wizards last week, right? Am I getting that right? And now the Knicks, they're 17-1 and in Miami. And 10 and 11 on the road of the top four teams in the East. They're the only one with a losing road record. That's a weird little footnote in what otherwise been has, has been a really good season for the Heat. But it's something they need to watch out for a little bit. Jimmy Butler was excellent in this game. They actually shot the ball great, 54%, but they didn't guard anybody. Nick shot 52% and only committed seven turnovers. And the Knicks just ended up with 11 more shot attempts in this ball game. Both teams took exactly the same number of free throws. And so it tipped the scales to New York. R.J. Barrett was actually good in this one, but doesn't change anything. Interesting little note on this ballgame. Number one, Marcus Morris was still out, so Reggie Bullock is playing significant minutes right now. I think he's still going to see pretty good burn even when Morris comes back. They'll move bodies around, but it won't be 29 minutes worth, so I'm not racing out to pick him up in standard formats. Mitchell Robinson, I'm sure, is the name that everybody's going to gravitate to, along with Taj Gibson, because this is sort of like the weird... One did well, one did poorly, and it's not the one you would have expected. One of these things and that kind of deal. Um, I want to start with Alfred Payton because you guys know I hate his fantasy game. He's been able to sort of tread water lately with a couple of good ones mixed in with a few bad ones. When the wheels come off with him, it, it gets ugly quick. These are the good ones where he's not turning the ball over and he's not taking enough shots to hurt you in the percentages, and he's getting you some steals. But overall... I, I'm just not particularly excited about this dude's fantasy game. You basically need to be punting one or more of threes, field goal percent, free throw percent, or turnovers. Particularly, I think you'd have to say threes. Because as a point guard, you generally want a guy who's hitting more than half a three-pointer per game. And if you have a point guard who's not hitting three-pointers, like, I don't know, Derek Rose, who's at like one and change... You'd hope that they shoot the ball well, like the percentages would be good enough to outweigh the other stuff. But Peyton is a low-volume, 60% foul shooter for his career. He's a medium-volume, lately worse, this year 42% field goal guy. And so, to me, if you're trying to compete in all nine categories, he doesn't belong on a fantasy team. If you're only trying to compete in eight, well, then you could make an argument for it. Over the last two weeks, he's number 197. Over the last week, he's number 82. Even with these big games that everybody's super excited about, he's still only 82 over the last week. His ceiling is very low. It's capped. But, again, there's we're into this the ROI part of the season. The other note on this team, obviously, is Mitchell Robinson, who was trending up after the coaching change and lately has been trending back down again with a total of two blocks over his last four ball games. His minutes have been okay, actually, up until this last one. He only played 15 minutes in this particular ballgame. He's been in the low 20s in most of those, and there's just something that isn't quite right. He looks like he's going through the kind of Jaron Jackson growing pains from last year this year. 
or someone has told him, perhaps it's a member of the coaching staff, you need to somehow figure out a way to stay on the floor. You can't foul out in 20 minutes, even if you're blocking six shots a night. Is this a buy low opportunity? Yeah, I would argue it is. He's number 57 for the year, 40 for the last month. So it's really only been the last week, really, that he's kind of bottomed out a little bit. And even that, it's top 110 because he still makes every shot he takes. He's shooting 85% on five shots a game over the last week while the rest of his stuff has been garbage. So yeah, this is bad. This is very bad. Really awful line. One block, two points, three boards. Absolutely. See if you can go get him for a guy ranked in the 60s. Right? I mean, this is a game changer in the blocks department if he gets things straightened out. Even if he doesn't, he's a game changer in field goal percent. So the opposite end to that question is, are you picking up Taj Gibson? And the answer is a fairly resounding no. This was a decent ball game, 14-8 and with a steal and a block on good percentages. We've seen this act before. Even when he gets consistent burn, he tires out after about a month of good numbers. For the Heat, it's still the same general idea. Kendrick Nunn got warm in this game. James Johnson actually has been shooting the ball very well off the bench, but he's not going to shoot 80% for the season. All he's really doing by being active is crushing the value of Derek Jones Jr., who only played 19 minutes and lost his playing time to the aforementioned James Johnson. It's the Kelly Olynyk treatment. He's not even playing these days. Probably dinged up, although I have to admit I haven't looked at the scouting report lately. Goran Dragic, obviously a drop. I mean, we've been through this, this whole puzzle before. Duncan Robinson is the only non-star on the Heat that's worth using on a night-to-night basis because he can be an efficient three-point guy. Figured we could spend an extra minute on the teams that, that deserve it. Utah is not one of the teams that deserves it. Donovan Mitchell missed his first game of the year with an illness. So, you know, Jordan Clarkson got a few more shots and Joe Ingles got a few more shots. Whatever. I mean, you, you put it in the rear view. Emmanuel Moutier, we've learned, could be a points league stream type if Mitchell ever misses another game, but he just doesn't. Donovan, incredibly durable. That's where, he, that's where he's able to really push his value up overall is the fact that he doesn't miss basketball games. That's a skill these days. And I haven't given him enough credit for that. I'll admit it. I think his per-game stuff is often a little bit overblown, but that durability is huge. You know, even though he's near 40 on a per-game basis, he's number 25 overall because he just plays every game. The top 40 guy playing every single day, that's, that's very useful. So apologies to Donovan Mitchell. I haven't given him enough credit on that particular front. For Washington, the Cavalry's starting to come back. Bradley Beal played in this one, was inefficient, but logged 27 minutes and took a team-high 25 shots. Davis Bertans has played in the two games over the weekend. He had 18 on four three-pointers. Obviously, you fire him up. Thomas Bryant comes back with a minutes cap. He played 15 and a half minutes on Sunday. Jan Mahimi actually had a really good ball game, but he's going to trend down. Anje Pasichnich, who they just signed, is not going to play at all. And then you get into this weird guard thing, because with Beal back... You're going to see the usage for Jordan McRae take a hit. It just has to, because he was chucking like nobody's business. And he still did in this game in 25 minutes. My wonder here is, what happens, you know, how long can you really hold on to McRae? Because at some point this year, they're probably going to put Beal on a pretty hard games and minutes cap. And at that point, Jordan McRae could be that kind of silly season explosion guy. But we're still really, I mean, we're only in the second week of January right now, so I almost can't, I don't think I can advocate holding for two months. He's been good, but he's probably about to disappear. You can give him one more game if you want, but if Beal's minutes continue to trend up, assuming they let him get into the 30s, 
if two or three of those come at the expense of McRae, then he's off the chart. He's off your marker. I am. I know I don't like his fantasy game, but we were just talking about Peyton as a punt guy. Ish Smith could actually be a punt guy, even as this team gets healthy. He is vastly outplaying Isaiah Thomas right now. But I also don't like his fantasy game. So, again, you're, you're punting something. Field goal percent, perhaps, for threes, perhaps. I'd rather have Ish Smith than Alfred Payton, believe it or not, just because the only area Payton has the advantage is steals. Smith is more reliable in basically every other category. I don't like either of them when it comes right down to it. And then Troy Brown, his job is relatively safe on this team, although you hate the idea that his usage could actually go down, but it could. Golden State at Memphis. Uh, Damian Lee is out of days on his 45-day contract, and they're going to sign him by all accounts, according to the Warriors beat staff, on Wednesday. But every day that he's not on the books, they actually get a slight bonus against the hard cap. So they're waiting just long enough to make whatever that next move might be, and it's probably just to sign Lee to a multi-year, partially guaranteed deal by all accounts. So if you have Damian Lee and you like what he was in do- he's been doing, hold, because he'll probably be playing by later this week. The other big news out of the Warriors is that Willie Cauley-Stein has been demoted to a low-minute role off the bench, and Omari Spellman has been thrust into a large role. His minutes would have, I believe, been closer to fi- uh, 30 in this game, but he got into foul trouble early. Had to come out after about five and a half, six minutes in the first quarter. Picked up his third foul early in the second quarter, and Steve Kerr rode him, said, do it, man, go play. And he did it. He didn't pick up his fourth foul, and then he played a normal allotment of minutes in the second half. He got 14 and a half, I believe, minutes in the second half. So if you're looking at that, you're looking at about 29 minutes in the game overall, and there ain't anybody coming for his minutes. Kevon Looney is cooked. Willie Cauley-Stein's been demoted. Omari Spellman, must-add, must-own, must-start guy right now as a really interesting, and he's going to get center eligibility. It's just a matter of time. If you're on a service where he doesn't, it's coming. Oh, and they cut Marquise Chris. He would be the only other guy that could maybe take some of those minutes away. Uh, Technically, I guess they're saying Draymond Green was the starting center in this unit, and Spellman was the starting power forward, but it it almost doesn't seem right because Willie Cauley-Stein was the guy that got bumped out of the starting lineup. He was the center, so the guy you're bringing in should at some point hopefully get that eligibility. I guess we'll just wait and see. I hope it happens. In any event, he's an interesting power forward because he pops the three. He'll get you steals from a center or power forward spot. A few assists because he's going to be passing, not shooting a ton. And then in general, the free throw number is actually better than what he did in this ballgame. So to me, he might even be more interesting than Damian Lee because he's probably going to shoot the ball better. Eric Pascal is not an ad. Once Damian Lee's contract is guaranteed, those minutes will likely go to him. D'Angelo Russell was back. He scored 34 points. See if you can move him for a top 60 guy. Every time he shows up alive, try to do it. Same deal, Draymond Green. Memphis is fun, man. Five-game winning streak for the eighth-seeded Grizz. Valanchunas full wolf beast mode in this ballgame, 31-19. Steal a couple of blocks, 17 shots, line of the night. Jaron Jackson Jr. keeps chugging along in his 27 minutes. Brandon Clark nearly double-double. Had a weird off-shooting game, but he's been looking good lately. We all just wish they'd played DeAnthony Melton more than 19 minutes a game, but as long as they're not, he makes him a kind of a tough own, even when he puts up these juicy fantasy lines like this one. 
We need Tyus Jones to just not be there. So we can go only Morant and Melton. Ah, well. We'll keep watching. The day that he starts seeing mid-20s in minutes is the day he better be on every damn fantasy roster. San Antonio beat Toronto in the grand return in Toronto. Norman Powell and Pascal Siakam, both coming back for the Raptors in this game. Siakam was insanely rusty. Powell somehow wasn't. So Norm, who we mentioned last week he needed to be stashed everywhere, came back with a flourish here. 20 points, 3 boards, 4 assists, a steal, and 4 three-pointers on 57% shooting this ballgame. Serge Ibaka rolling until Marcus Ole comes back, although it sounds like that's not that far off. wonder if Serge will still see an uptick in minutes. He's been playing better lately, but uh, I wouldn't bank on it. And so it's good, to, it's good to have the Raptors now with a handful of fantasy assets. Again, you can trust Kyle Lowry, you can trust Ibaka, you can trust Powell, you can trust Siakam. you got four names you can throw out there. This probably kills OG Ananobi, who was just seeing his, this weird little opportunity to get a tiny bit aggressive on offense and then not really taking it, but maybe sort of kind of taking it a little bit. And yeah, now his usage was eight in 30 minutes. He's gone the way of my good friend Daniel House, who no longer does anything when he's on the basketball court. And all of these guys came back, and they all came and went, and Rondé Ellis-Jefferson and Chris Boucher did nothing. So officially, mark it a W in the Dan Bespris, I don't believe it's going to happen column. You're welcome, if you didn't waste any games cap on that stuff. For the Spurs, I honestly have no idea how they won this game. They didn't shoot the ball well. They didn't shoot free throws well. They didn't shoot three balls well. They rebounded pretty well, and that's about it. Overall, it's, I mean, they shot a ton of free throws, which I guess is the difference in the ballgame, because they shot 30, the Raptors shot 11. I'm sure Toronto wasn't too thrilled about that. But DeRozan had 25, and everybody else was kind of bad. Derek White outplayed DeJounte Murray in a rare twist. He was in there for a Spurs big comeback, so he saw some extra action. I mean, this is why we want Derek White to play 25 to 30 minutes a game. If you could tell me and guarantee me he was going to see that run, he'd be a must-own, must-start guy, but he'll likely drop back to 20 in the next ballgame. And then LaMarcus Aldridge had a bit of an off game, but he'll be fine. He's been great all year, not to worry. Atlanta without Trey Young is an ugly sight to see. Cam Reddish had a good ball game. DeAndre Bembry was fine. Alex Len desperately needs Trey Young to get him looks. He wasn't really involved. I mean, they had 33 rebounds for the game. Brooklyn had 62. Yeesh. Kyrie Irving came back, played 19 and a half minutes, scored 21 points. Torian Prince got better looks playing alongside Kyrie Irving, so maybe that'll be a good thing. DeAndre Jordan got better looks with Kyrie Irving back. A lot of guys just got better looks at the rim. Spencer Dinwiddie, not great. Seven points, eight assists, no steals, no blocks. Bad field goal percent, four turnovers. He was already near the back end of the top 250, despite actually scoring over the last month, and this probably kills him. And you know I haven't been a Karis LeVert guy at ever. I've never really bought into it because his percentages are pretty whack. So this team now, you know, th- th- there's a lot of guys in this team that have been kind of fringy assets. Jared Allen has been one of the more reliable. He missed a bunch of free throws in this game. Otherwise, it was actually a decent ball game. DeAndre Jordan has been a late-round guy all year. Same deal Joe Harris. Torian Prince has been kind of a late-round guy as well. If his shooting level's off, Torian Prince could actually be pretty good going forward. But Dinwiddie had that big hot run and cooled off, and when the field goal percent went down the toilet, 
then I felt a lot better about my distinction to lay off. So I, I don't care about Brooklyn. I mean, I, I think you if you if you have certain guys that that are not directly impacted by the Irving return, you probably stay on that course. But someone like a Dinwiddie, to me, he's just off a cliff now. He was off a cliff when Kyrie played to start the year. He wasn't even close to value. So I don't see any reason why that wouldn't be the case now also. For Atlanta, as I've mentioned before, Alex Len really, I mean, I know we said it just a moment ago, he's more of a back end of your roster kind of guy. Uh, You don't really trust him unless you absolutely have to. He's been okay lately, but there's no upside. So keep hunting unless you desperately need someone to just get you a couple of big man stats and no real opportunity to go beyond that. Charlotte lost in Phoenix. Miles Bridges was actually decent again, so maybe he's turned a tiny corner here. We'll see if it sticks. Devontae Graham, tough shooting game. So as as he tough shooting games go, so goes his Hornets. Cody Zeller played well in this one. Got 29 minutes. Uh, Bismack Biombo had a facial issue, and so he lost some playing time, but generally when they're both healthy, they're split in the center minutes, so that's pretty lame. And uh, Nick Batum, he just he's out there for a long time and doesn't do anything with it. So at this point, obviously Graham, generally Rozier is is worth starting. He's they both punch you in the gut in that field goal percent, but you know you roll with it. And then with lately with Bridges, he's actually been pretty good. And if he could get you two steals every once in a while, that would be a big deal. Meanwhile, for Phoenix, you know if it's working, I guess Aaron Baines is the starting center in generally in name only. Aiton is getting the extra minutes, but this is what we were worried about with DeAndre Aiton. How many times on this podcast have we said? Baines has played well enough to squeeze his minutes up to 20 as opposed to, I mean, when this season started, what did Aiden play that first game of the year? 34 minutes? Something like that? We thought, all right, Aiden 34, Baines 14. And then Aiden got suspended. Baines played well. He's worked his way up into a 20, this was almost 22-minute roll. I don't care how good DeAndre Aiden's fantasy numbers are. If you take three, four, five minutes away from his season average, He's just not going to get into that top 20. It's not going to happen. Let's see if this is how it continues. This was obviously just one game, one sample size, but Baines is the starting center, and they've won a couple. Right now, Baines is not doing enough to be owned. Eight and seven with a steal and a block is fine, but he missed his free throws, and he just there, there's not that explosiveness to his game. But really, more than anything, you're watching to see what this does to DeAndre Ayton's value. In the meantime, Kelly Oubre is a monster, a super beast, and a Brewski 150 guy that is hitting in a huge way. He's number 21 by totals this point in the year. He's number 40 in nine cap by averages and climbing lately. What a year he's having. Fantasy altering season for Kelly Oubre. I've got him in a number of places thanks to being a hoopball guy. And then the Clippers, without Paul George, lost in Denver, uh, L.A. in a little bit of a skid right now. Not not a massive deal, but to only, and it's funny, to only go 6-4 and four in your last 10 games, you actually tend to lose ground in the top of the Western Conference. Lakers, by the way, have opened up a five-game lead over the second-place team. The Nuggets-Jazz, by the way, tied. Rockets half game back. Clippers tied with the Rockets, although they played a couple additional basketball games. And then you jump down, the Mavs are sort of in their own little pocket in the 6th seed, the Thunder are in their own little pocket in the 7th seed, and then the Grizz and the Spurs are tied right now for that 8th and final playoff spot. Pretty amazing. As far as fantasy stuff goes, nothing really. 
Kawhi, Montrez, Lou Williams for what he does well, and then Patrick Beverly, who you guys know I love his stuff. So many, so many leagues I've been sort of giving up on points, and Bev has been my guy. Over on that other side, Nikola Jokic played well, and the Denver defense did a lot of the heavy lifting in this one, holding the Clippers to just 104 points. Otherwise, not a whole lot to take away from the Nuggets thing when the starters are the guys you want to use. Right now, that's Jeremy Grant instead of Paul Millsap. Easy peasy. 14 out of 30 teams down. Let's look at Saturday's results to wipe up the rest of them. If I could click the right button on my screen, I could actually get you the scores from Saturday. Minnesota dominated in Houston. Isaiah Hartenstein, a hell of a fill-in if Clint Capella misses any more time. P.J. Tucker was hurt in the second minute of this ballgame, had a shoulder injury. He's hoping to play in their next game, which I believe is tomorrow. We'll wait and see. Uh, to me, he's still a hold. Uh, we've seen him do this same shtick a number of times where he goes through these cold spells, just kind of stops shooting. The bigger note in this game is Ben McLemore taking Daniel House's starting job. House actually played better off the bench, but a lot of his extra minutes came because Tucker got hurt. So I think House is probably a drop at this point. I don't know that you need to make too many massive adjustments to the other guys. Injuries here, injuries there, that kind of thing. And then Houston, in a blowout, was able to just pick on, uh, well, a Minnesota team that's, I think, starting to miss Carl Anthony Towns a little bit. Safe to say. Josh Okoge had a big ball game here, uh, but uh, you're not really reading much into that. Rob Covington had six steals in the first half, and then James Harden stopped turning the ball over. He, by the way, was two assists away from a quadruple double with turnovers as the category. He actually got there in the turnovers department. It was the assists that were holding him back. Gorgie Jang had a great game in only 19 minutes. His minutes are trending down right now, and I don't know exactly why. And as Reed is the backup center on this team, and Jordan Bell saw a few minutes in blowout time, yes, obviously, if this game was closer, he would have logged another six-ish minutes at the end of regulation, but that still only puts him at 24. Still, I think the 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 easy decision here is don't get cute. Keep starting Gorgie Jang as long as Cat is out. Even with the low minutes he's been producing. And then when Cat comes back, you can cast him into the ocean. Also of note, all the weird stuff going on at the guard position. They are feeding Jarrett Culver every moment he can handle on the basketball court right now. Managed to not shoot any free throws, so that's a good thing for him. I think he needs to be owned everywhere. Because, as we said on Friday's show, the upside with this kid is absolutely crazy, through-the-roof, massive. His steals, his blocks, his rebounds, his assists, he can score a bit. Over the last week, he's sitting at 16, almost 6, 2.5 assists, 1.5 steals, 0.8 blocks, shooting 53% over that stretch. And actually hit some three-pointers, which he wasn't doing earlier in the year. Though the confidence is starting to surge. I have him in a few spots. I know that I was slow on the uptake with him. But it seems like they're just now feeding him. Because everybody on the guard side for the Wolves is actually healthy at the moment. It's Cat that's out. And that'll impact, obviously, Jeng, but not too many other guys. And in this one, even in a blowout loss, Culver still played 33 minutes. They just want him to get his 30 minutes every game because he's their guy of the future. If you can get him in Dynasty or Keeper stuff, you do that immediately. And I think... With the way that this team is shaping up, you might just see a lot of him down the stretch anyway, even this year. Wiggins is trending down. Napier's trending down. Teague is trending down. 
I'm going to give Teague a little bit more leash than Napier. Wiggins, I'm going to give plenty of leash because, I mean, it's possible he's just not quite healthy. I mean, the the shots are not falling for him right now. A lot of stuff isn't working. Maybe he actually needs Cat back to just create a little bit of space, anything at all. They're playing more defensively lately, although you wouldn't know by this ballgame. So to me, I think you can probably move on from Napier. That's the, I would say, big takeaway from this ballgame. Keep riding Gorgie despite the weird minutes. And then obviously Jared Culver, you got to find a way to get him on your team somehow. Even if you sit him for a few weeks while you wait to see if this thing holds, he's been, the opportunity lately has been too much to overlook. New Orleans lost Derek Favors at the start of the weekend. I know, I know, I know. They're still without Drew Holiday, so they got whipped by Boston. When Favors is out, New Orleans is awful. It's been a one-to-one correlation on that front this year. They don't, they can't protect the rim. So Boston came in, shot 55%. Ennis Cantor nearly went 20-20 without Favors out there. Tatum had 41. Hayward had 19 on 11 shots. Walker had 17 on 12 shots. I mean, they just, they crushed him in every sense. Pelicans can't defend anything without Derek Favors on the floor. Presuming that everybody continues to miss time for this team, I think you can probably, there was no Redick in this game either. I think you could probably roll the same guys out you did for this one, which is Ball, Jackson Hayes filling in for Favors, I'm not trusting Etwan more, even in a starting job, but Ingram and Josh Hart, I likely do. Nothing changes for me, by the way, over on that Boston side. Chicago 108, Detroit 99. That was an interesting one because Andre Drummond got ejected, so we got to see Dwayne Casey forced into giving Christian Wood a bunch of minutes, and his line was beefy. 17-14, a steal and three blocks. This is the here's what you'll see if Drummond gets traded thing. Markeith Morris, by the way, did play in this ballgame. Curious to see if his minutes trend up as he gets his legs back underneath him. Sekou Dumbuya, 29 minutes, picked up five fouls. He was back into foul trouble again and didn't do a whole lot. But he's a guy to me that I think you probably have to pick up because it seems like they want him logging a bunch of small and power forward minutes. My only question is, does Markeith Morris ever push him aside a little bit? Just a toughness thing, a young guy kind of getting beat up in his rookie year. There's going to be those ups and downs. But you probably have to add him just to see how the rest of this season plays out for the Pistons. I would think. Bruce Brown, too, right now. Until we hear anything about Luke Kennard, Bruce Brown, who had a down ball game in this one, has been really good across the board lately. Steals, blocks, assists, rebounds. About the only thing he's not doing a ton of is scoring. But you know me and my hatred for scoring. For the Bulls, we're getting additional looks. This is game two without Wendell Carter Jr. And in this one, it was Daniel Gafford that played better. It's Thad Young in the first one. That might flip-flop back and forth depending on the opponent on a given night. Gafford has the more interesting upside among the two guys because of shot blocking and big man style stats. If you told me I had to pick up one or the other and I had I had to do it, it would be Gafford. But I think at this point, I'm not sure either of those guys is going to be getting started in your leagues at the moment. Gafford got picked up in a bunch of spots in my leagues and then got dropped almost immediately after the 2.2 rebound game on on Friday. I mean, he did play 27 minutes in that one. So if his minutes are going to be in the mid to high 20s, I think you probably need to get him on your team. He's shown the ability to block a bunch of shots, and that's not nothing in this day and age. And you know I love old man Thad, but he needs 30 minutes to make an impact, and I don't think that's coming. 
And to answer the question nobody's asking, no, you're not picking up Luke Cornett. The Kyle Kuzma-led Lakers beat the hell out of the Thunder. Kuz had 36 with LeBron and Anthony Davis both out. Lakers beat the Mavs and the Thunder without one and then without both of their superstars. This team's pretty good. Rajon Rondo nearly triple-doubled, hurt his hand in this ballgame. I would be surprised if uh, LeBron and AD weren't back pretty darn soon. So I don't know that you're making any large-scale adjustments. You're likely streaming guys like McGee and Dwight Howard as long as Anthony Davis is out. Uh, and if LeBron misses any more time, if there's no Rondo, I honestly don't know where the hell you go in that one. So probably leaving this one alone. And then the Thunder, they're just, they're not really a fantasy story. Philly without Joel Embiid, uh, so far it has been more Al Horford, which was kind of what we thought. There was a chance you might see more like a of a Mike Scott, who is playing more but not doing much, or maybe a Kylo Quinn, who has the more interesting fantasy game. But it's just kind of more of the other four guys. But Dallas beat the hell out of him in this ballgame. Maxi Kleba was great. Continues to be a solid stream with no Kristaps Porzingis. Dwight Powell, 19-12. and 12. Luka Doncic actually had a terrible game, and they won by almost 20. And then DeLon Wright did not start this ballgame. Got 22 minutes off the bench, which still would be enough. But we were looking for getting him up into that 25 or more range. So... I know I said I'm picking up in as many places as I can just in case it sticks. It doesn't really look like it's sticking. I think you can probably move on if we're looking here in these kind of short-term blips. So the DeLon Wright thing didn't stick. I just didn't want to be the guy that wasn't there if it did, you know? Cleveland beat Denver on the road. Unexpected twist. Darius Garland was pretty good in this ballgame. He's been all right lately, and... You know, among the guards, he's still the one that has the better shot at it because Colin Sexton doesn't do anything besides score the basketball. Literally nothing at all. But they were actually both serviceable in this game. Sexton at least hit a couple of three balls. Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love, as I mentioned, those guys are just going to play hard until they get traded. That's what they've been told. Go out there, win some ball games, make other teams think, I could use this guy. If or when they get moved, assuming that Larry Nance is healthy by then, he becomes a very interesting basketball player because he'll almost for sure start over Ante Zizic. We already talked about the Nuggets. Milwaukee blew out Portland. Dante DiVincenzo was fine but uninspiring. Portland, I mean, it's a rough night when Kent Bazemore has your most productive fantasy game. Mello fluctuating between okay games and terrible ones, kind of what we expected. No Hassan Whiteside, which meant more Anthony Tolliver. And, boy, Portland is circling the drain right now. And I'm fairly certain we had some teams that didn't play on uh, Saturday or Sunday. I just want to make sure that I'm getting whichever of those it might be. Indiana, I think, was one of them. Demonis Sabonis missed that game on Friday, so Miles Turner had a chance to cut loose old-school Miles Turner as the starting center and not sharing the floor with Sabonis. I mean, if you're a Miles Turner owner, you're just thinking, come on, Simone has missed one more game. He probably won't. Pretty tough dude. Orlando played on Friday, didn't play over the weekend. Terrence Ross, more shots. Evan Fournier, more shots. This is all, we're just sort of tracking the what, what now without Jonathan Isaac, what now without Aaron Gordon. I mean, there's just a lack of firepower on this team. And if Vooch isn't playing well, then they're kind of in trouble. Markel Fultz is going to have a lot of usage these days. He actually moves into the you should probably be starting him thing. He's going to be on all... He was vastly over-owned because of his name anyway. He's number 170, guys. 
This is a guy that's been getting started all year, even though he really hasn't been fantasy relevant. But I think he'll have an opportunity here to make a, a little bit of a bigger impact. And Sacramento didn't play over the weekend, but we did get some blech news out of Sacramento. Rashawn Holmes' MRI and his shoulder revealed that the injury was more severe than originally thought, and he's going to be out for two to three weeks at least. That is gross. I will be counting down the days until the start of February when we likely get Rashawn back, and then things can go back to normal. Marvin Bagley, they're hoping to get him back for this game tonight, which means Dwayne Dedman goes back to doing nothing. All The one person that this does help is Nemanja Bialica, who was likely about to lose a lot of his playing time, and now, without having to worry about a Bagley-Holmes front court, he can just keep coasting along at almost 40 minutes a game at that power forward spot. So if you've got Bialica, you just bought yourself another three weeks of usefulness. I'm telling you, man, he is semi-charmed or something. Or he's sabotaging everybody. Every time it looks like he's about to lose his job, someone else goes down in the front court. And please trade Dwayne Dedman somewhere he could have fantasy value. No, by the way, I'm not picking up Trevor Ariza. This has short-term written all over it. And that is your reverse chronological lightning round. Took us a little longer than I had hoped. Still have a seven-game Monday to profile, but again... We're not going to dig hard into the betting stuff on this one because I have news on that front that I will bring to you now. It's here, and it might be the biggest news at HoopBall since we launched our DFS show back in September. It's the HoopBall Betting Podcast. It's not the name, by the way. That's just the content. The show is called Today in Sports Betting. Today in sports betting, it is available everywhere. Podcasts are found with the exception right now of iHeart because it takes them a long time to add stuff. But you can get it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Podbean, all the you know the usual spots, whatever. YouTube, they'll be out on YouTube as well through our HoopBall YouTube page. I am so excited about it. Devin Ellington, Josh Millman, Neil Rochelani, Iris Silver. It's a four-man operation. They'll be rotating through two hosts at a time. And it debuts today. In fact, the first show might very well be out already, for all I know. I know the first show is coming out on Monday. If it's not out yet, it'll be out by the mid-morning Pacific time, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's going to be released like around uh, 7 or 8 a.m. Pacific time. Today in Sports Betting is the title, and if you're wondering the best way to find it, number one, you know it's not going to be that easy to find right now because it just came out. So make sure to follow all of our various Twitter feeds because we're going to be retweeting it and pointing you to the HoopBall Gaming Twitter feed. That's where all of our betting information is going to be put out. And I mentioned this on Friday, a full month of our best bets are going to be coming out to you guys for free from that at HoopBall betting pot or uh, Twitter account. And of course, today in sports betting, which is going to be teaching you guys how to break down the games. It's going to be not just... Who are our picks? It's going to be why. Why do the guys like the picks? How did we get to this point? What are some of the tenets that build into this stuff? What is the data that supports this selection? It's not being sold. That's the real beauty part of it. This is not a tout program. This is not like we're trying to... We're not trying to turn Josh Millman into a, a, a selling handicapper. These are guys that just love to bet and love to talk about it, and want to do it for you guys as well. I am so excited for this podcast. Today in Sports Betting debuts today 
Follow at Hoopball Gaming on Twitter because that will also have additional written thoughts on the games on every night. And it's not just basketball. It's all the things. Football, hockey, college sports, you name it. Hoopball Gaming and Today in Sports Betting will cover it for you guys. But the only thing we ask of you is as you're counting your cash while following this stuff and learning and doing it on your own, you do it through our buddies at mybookie.ag. Use promo code TODAY, T-O-D-A-Y, when you sign up and open your account and get a 50% deposit bonus from the good folks at mybookie.ag. Again, the website, mybookie.ag. The promo code is the word TODAY. They have customer service if you need any help, which is great because a lot of these online books don't. Bet, win, get paid. Big thank you to my bookie for setting this all up, for allowing us to get this thing going. Their partnership is part of why we're able to get this thing launched so fast. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. I'll be pointing you guys to it from my Twitter as often as I can. I'm so excited about this stuff. But it also means that I don't have to dig in as much on the betting stuff on this podcast. I know some of you guys like that little stuff. We just have a better resource for it now. And my thoughts will likely be expressed either on that show, if I'm guesting, or through that Twitter feed or my own Twitter feed. So that'll be making a little bit of a, I don't want to say disappearance on this podcast, but we're going to be focusing much more on fantasy again. Not that we weren't, uh, because we have a better outlet for the gaming stuff. So quickly here for the Monday card, Philadelphia's at Indiana. Really, you're just watching the health of Demonis Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon. Otherwise, not a whole lot to keep an eye on in that ballgame. Pelicans, a lot of health questions as well. You can obviously stream Jackson Hayes as long as Favors is out. All three of those main guys, Favors, Reddick, and Holiday, are questionable for this game this evening. Detroit, they've got their own set of injured guys, but Markeith Morris did come back. So big question mark there is, does he ramp up to 20-some-odd minutes, and does that take Dembuya down into the mid, low to mid-20s as well, which would mean neither guy would have any fantasy value. And then you're looking at a Bruce Brown. You're wondering if, by the way, we heard Reggie Jackson might actually play in the next couple of weeks. Don't know what the hell that would do to the Pistons' rotations. And then maybe do we ever get any news on Luke Kennard? Seems like no, but who knows? It might just pop up one afternoon when no one's expecting it. So stop expecting it because I'd really like to know. Chicago-Boston, Bulls, again, Gafford, between he and Thad Young, gets my nod right now. I'd love to see him play one more good ball game. He's available in a lot of spots right now and could provide you some interesting big man stats because Wendell Carter Jr. is out for a while. You know, there's, there's, there's a long gap here where if you're looking for some potentially field goal percent and blocks, you may have a guy available to you. But... I mean, 9% owned in leagues. I'm thinking you could probably give him one more game to kind of see what shakes out here before you really make the plunge. OKC Minnesota, Cat is obviously the big question mark there. I think if you've got guys like Teague and Napier, you probably can bench them. You start Jang, you start Rocco, you probably start Wiggins, even with as bad as he's been lately, just in case he starts to get things motored. And then obviously you flip Jang in for Cat if Carlton Towns plays in this ballgame. I think you can start Culver, too. Although this is going to be a tougher matchup for him. OKC is a pretty good ball club. Orlando-Sacramento, I think we've got a pretty good idea of things. If Bagley's playing in this game, 
you'll likely see him play a fair amount, although I got to think there'll be some kind of minutes deal going on with as banged up as he's been this year so far, which means what, 16 to 20 minutes there? So that should mean some Harry Giles, maybe some Deadman, maybe some Bielitsa at center. But Bagley's a guy that should be owned. He's going to ramp up now. If he can actually start to get healthy and stay that way, he could be pretty damn useful, especially if Holmes misses more than three weeks. Charlotte-Portland, this is a toilet bowl of a ball game. There's not a whole lot I care about in this one. And then Cleveland is at L.A. This reeks of letdown game for the Lakers, doesn't it? A hard-charging Cavs team trying to get their guys all traded, playing really hard right now against the Lakers team coming back home after beating up on the Mavs and the Thunder without their top guys. I don't know. This feels like a game where the Lakers might come out sleepwalk and the Cavs could put up some numbers, but, I mean, it doesn't really change who I'm starting on either side. You start Tristan Thompson while he's playing hard. You start Kevin Love while he's playing hard, obviously. And then with the guards, maybe Darius Garland? All the Lakers D up on guards pretty well this year. So we shall see. There aren't any games on this docket that I would call must-watch, homework-style stuff, but of everything going on, Detroit and Chicago, to me, are the two most interesting teams playing just because of all the injuries, who's going to shake out with the minutes, are guys coming back, and are those guys' minutes changing? I think you could throw some stuff into there. And now, finally, 40-some-odd minutes into a very long Monday show, we got to get into our guest. I feel like maybe I should be opening these segments using that scene from Home Alone where he's watching the movie and the old-timey mobster says, Keep the change, you filthy animal. What do you think? Can we use that? I mean, if we can get the rights to it, let's do it. <laughs> rights, schmites. We're a, we're a fantasy basketball podcast. What are the odds that Macaulay Culkin is? Hey, Macaulay, what's up, man? If you're tuning in, good to have you. Uh, this is this is keep the change time. Pedro Doreste back on the pod, the assistant editor at Hoopball. It's a good to have you back. This is this is edition three. Yeah, yeah. Every time I. Uh... Uh, it's fewer time between segments, so hopefully the stats are just as meaningful, right? Well, you're doing a better job of keeping me on point here, because if I if nobody pokes me, then I'm just like sort of floating through my year and thinking, okay, I got this thing to do, I got this thing to do, and you've done what I ask everybody to do, and nobody ever does, which is, hey Dan, is uh, are we are we doing this? And I'm just like, oh yeah, of course, yeah, absolutely, we're doing this. I just am. My brain's in way too many places. By the way, you can follow Pedro on Twitter at Pedro N, as in, well, Noel, Doreste. Although, I guess for most people, you'd say N is in Nancy. Pedro N, Doreste, <laughs> D-O-R-E-S-T-E. Give him a follow immediately after this podcast, or you can even pause it and do it right now. Uh, as mentioned again, he is the assistant editor over at Hoopball, our benevolent overlords. And you've got... We, we briefly called it sustainable and unsustainable. We've talked about other various change names, but it's keep the change now, you healthy animal. Who do you got for today? We got some sort of like two big ones to talk about and then some quick hitters, right? Yeah, quick hitters, but now we don't have to like blaze through them as before. Because <laughs> we'll, have, we'll, have we'll have a little bit more time. That's okay. Let's start with one of the big ones, though. Who do you want to talk about first? Uh, number one is Jaron Jackson Jr., who's actually uh, ranked 16th over the past month. And uh, when I say past month, I'm I'm uh, guessing the last I'm using the last 14, 15 games because uh, some people say past month and then you know uh, maybe they've played like uh, three games in the past month, so it's important to to make note of that. 
So over the past month, he's averaged 20.2 points, 5.3 rebounds, 1.8 blocks, 3-pointers uh, three on 52% shooting. Um, so he's been like one of the very best. He's scra- scratching his ceiling right now, many would say. So what do we do with those numbers? I also notice his free throw percent is kind of low over the last month. It has been, and that's kind of... So imagine like how much higher he could be if he actually fixed that. But really, his uh, uh, the biggest improvement this year has been that uh, more than half of his f- field goal attempts are three-pointers, and he's hitting them at a 45% clip. I mean, that's high, but it's not really a huge leap from his early season numbers where he was shooting... 43 percent from from three-point range so he's actually improved upon those numbers and really when i'm looking at it one of the big things that jumps out is that he's finally starting to get the consistent block numbers the almost two blocks a game over that month there was some fear early on this season that he was sort of trying too hard to just stay on the floor and the defensive numbers weren't really coming so i ask you pedro and this is of course the the big question here should we keep the change or should we flip it back into the jar is this sustainable or is it unsustainable now the blocks uh, i think the blocks are here to stay obviously he had a historic block rate in college it didn't quite translate over the uh latter half of the season last year but now it's back and the good thing that's uh what's been very encouraging is that his fouls have stayed the same from from the last month to the first month and a half of the season so i think this is who he is as a shot blocker what about the three balls i mean he's hitting He's hitting, uh, you know, Zach Levine, Kemba Walker level number of threes right now as a power forward. Is that going to stick? I mean, he's he's taken like eight to ten of them a game. Some of these some of these contests. Yeah, uh, that's the thing. At the beginning of the season, we had like there was a lot of Twitter talk about how he wasn't fitting in well with John Morant, and that uh, Brandon Clark was even a better pick and roll man than Jaron Jackson. And that's not necessarily false. Uh, the thing is that. He's actually learned how to play with John Morant, or maybe John Morant has learned how to play with him. So his three-point catch-and-shoot opportunities are up by 31% uh, from uh, in the past month compared to the first month of the season, while still maintaining the elite three-point percentage. So you know half of his shots are coming off of this exact shot type. Shot type. So catch-and-shoot, zero dribbles, open or wide-open set shots. Can he continue to hit almost 52% from the field while also making three and a half threes a game? That's that's a heavy lift. Yeah, uh, but the the numbers actually back up uh, his improvement his uh, fr- from the field in general because he's been more uh, efficient uh, from two-point uh, range as well. So he, he uh, shot 48% during that rough November stretch, and he's been at 60% over the past month, which is kind of in line with what big men should be shooting. Uh, for two-pointers. So he's become basically an analytics darling. Am I reading this right? Yeah, yeah. It's exactly (laughs) what we thought he was. He was just kind of, you know, maybe in his feelings about the foul trouble and all that. Uh, And and there was, it took took a little bit of time to gel with John Morant. So for all that was made about John Morant and JJJ not playing well together, that judgment was based on like pick and roll plays almost exclusively. And now they're down to only 13% of his total play types compared to 26% for catch-and-shoot threes, which is apparently JJJ's bread and butter. Yeah, apparently. So looking then at his numbers here, over the last month, like you mentioned, he's sitting right around the edge of the top 25. Over the last couple of weeks, he's actually a top 15 guy. Who is Jaron Jackson Jr. the rest of the way? Like, what, 
what what are some of our actionable thoughts on this? If you have him on your team, it sounds to me like you're saying just ride it and enjoy it. If you don't have him, how much would you give up to go get him? Would you would you part with someone someone else inside the top 25 or is that asking too much? No, I wouldn't I wouldn't pay top 25 value for Jaron Jackson even though I think his ceiling perhaps not this season, but long-term is a lot higher than that. Uh, because I think that when you have these players that are so, their value is so dependent on shooting, you know, if they have a two-week slump, that could depress their ranking pretty significantly. So if he goes on a cold spell from three in the next two weeks, we can see him, like, outside the top 40. Uh, and, and that's what happens. I mean, Brooke Lopez is another one of these. It happens uh, to a lot of these big men who shoot. Uh, the the one encouraging thing is that now that the defensive stats are back, then that cushions him against such a steep drop in the rankings. Yeah, I feel like anybody who has him on their team is is aware that he's been ramping up pretty hard. So his full season ranking of 57 probably belies the price you'd have to pay to get him. Would you give up someone in the 35 to 45 range to get him? I'm getting the I'm going to guess here that the answer is that's a closer number that I'm actually starting to get right around what you'd pay to get him. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a few sell highs uh, right now that you could uh, throw out there in a trade. Maybe somebody like Kelly Oubre or uh, Chris Middleton. And I know that at HoopBall we love Kelly Oubre, but come on. Yeah, 35 <laughs> is pretty high. Exactly. So you can aim uh, within that top 45, top 35 range to, to offer up for JJJ. And I think JJJ is poised for a, a strong finish to the season as well. What about uh, someone? Well, I think I actually am looking at the wrong rankings right now. But what about somebody like um, trying to find some other names in that same area? What about like a Jason Tatum? He's also in that kind of that 30 ish range these days. Uh, I mean, obviously, he has some field goal percentage issues. Would you give him up to get Jaron Jackson Jr.? You're kind of giving up the safe guy for the exciting one. I don't actually. I don't even know if it would be enough in some instances. Well, where where do you stand on that particular comparison? I mean, for as good as Jason Tatum has been, and everybody's like exalting his offensive explosion, he's uh, averaging the same amount of points per game as uh, JJJ uh, <laughs> over the past month. True. So uh, yeah, I, I I think I'd rather have JJJ there, and it's. Not really that close for me. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> okay. And but, but Tatum is ranked 28 on the season right now. So we're, we're getting into that range where you're almost paying too high of a premium. But I think it sounds like you just really like Jared Jackson's stat set more. I definitely do. And, you know, Boston has had a, a bunch of injuries uh, this year, which has, like, sort of pro- produced four top 50 players over the first two and a half months of the season. So I don't think that that can continue unless, of course, Boston suffers more injuries to their uh, big four. Let me give you a couple of lightning round names. Would you, Who would you take this guy versus Jaron Jackson Jr. in a, in a trade scenario? Uh, you already said Jaron Jackson against Jason Tatum. Uh, Jaron Jackson versus Kyle Lowry. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you have Kyle Lowry on your team, you have to try to get top 35 value for him mm. uh, as soon as you can. Devin Booker? No, I'd keep Booker. I think uh, Booker's been averaging what thirty-four points per game over the past uh, the past month. That's yeah. <laughs> um, he's out of control. What about Rudy Gobert? Very different. Now we're going into the big men. Yeah, that would be that would be more of a parallel uh, move for me. I mean, yeah. it depends on uh, on what your team needs are. But I'd rather uh, I mean I'd rather stick with my 
my day 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 hmm. in that case. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Spider, Donovan Mitchell. Uh, no, I think, uh, no, it's, uh, of course this depends on your team needs, but I would, I would rather have Donovan Mitchell right now. I still think the best is, uh, ahead for Donovan Mitchell. And last one, Bam Adebayo or Jaron Jackson? Absolutely not. No, you want Bam? Of course I want Bam, even okay. with the free throw, which didn't quite come up, uh, too much, which is one of the things I predicted in the first episode, by the way. It's still stuck down there at 67. So. Yeah, but better than it was, right? Wasn't he in the low 60s at that point? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's gone. Uh, the the field goal, uh, free throw percentage has gone up, and the volume has gone down slightly, so it's less of a hit. Yeah, still see? <laughs> it's, somewhere, it's somewhere in between. That's okay. We'll take it. Uh, talking to Pedro Doreste, the assistant editor here at HoopBall. Pedro N. Doreste on Twitter. Who is Keep the Change number two? I can't believe I'm going to defend this guy, but here he is. Uh, it's Lauri Markkinen, uh, who's number 40 over the past month. Interesting. And that's not far off from where he was getting drafted in a lot of spots, isn't that? Because that's the numbers he was putting up towards the tail end of last year were in that 40 range, were they not? Yeah, exactly. When he had that hot stretch uh, in February of last year, he was the 38th best player in fantasy. Uh, but he's doing it this time around in a completely different way. He's not like shooting uh, 45% from the field as he was last year during the hot stretch. He's actually at 49, which just screams unsustainable for a person like him. It really does. And yet you said you're going to defend him. Is that because Wendell Carter Jr. is out? Yes, but partly <laughs> also <laughs> partly also because his his rebounding numbers don't make sense. Like they just don't add up. Uh, we're talking about a guy who's hovered around nine and a half uh, rebounds per game for his career, and he's sitting at 6.5 over the past month. Hmm. Yeah, uh, that doesn't make sense. So even if the field goal percent tails off, the rebounding should come back up and kind of level each other off a little bit. Exactly. So right now he's got that 17.7 points and 2.93s. Those stats are fine, and I expect him uh, to keep it going, maybe even improve a little bit based on the injuries that uh, Chicago has suffered. Um, so now that his shots are finally going in uh, and he's replicating the success from, from last year, uh, he should be in, in a better position to, I don't think he's going to meet his ADP for, for the season, but he's going to like come closer to his uh, uh, per game stats from last year, at least. I got to tell you, I don't know which direction to go on this one. It feels like with the Carter Jr. injury, combined with the fact that Markin has actually been playing relatively well, that there should be a little bit more buzz around his fantasy name right now, and it, it doesn't feel like there is. I feel like he's had a good stretch and nobody's noticed it, which, you know, I'm always looking for guys that are having a hot stretch and then people are also talking about said hot stretch as potential sell-high guys, but I haven't heard anybody talking about Markin during this good month. No, I mean, it surprised me. When I was doing research, I saw him in the 30s, and I like went back up to see if I was looking like at per games or totals. <laughs> yeah, did, I, I, did you have your settings all discombobulated? Yeah, I never noticed that he was playing this well. And he had been like a buy-low guy uh, most of the season, mm -hmm. but, you know, a, a buy-very-low guy. So he kind of snuck up on everyone. So um, it's not. it feels like that would make him a difficult guy to sell high on right now, and it seems instead like maybe... I don't know. Do you think you could still buy on him? Do you think Markkinen owners are aware that he's been this good? 
I think marketing owners gave up on him about a month ago. <laughs> what about what about the people that ended up picking him up or trading for him? They they well, probably are aware of it, right? Yeah, the thing is now with the WC injury, like you have to hold because his value stands to 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 move up uh, a little bit, even mm. even if he uh, lowers his efficiency, uh, because he's playing close to the. I mean, I mean, this is the point I wanted to make about about marketing this year. He's been deferring to Wendell Carter Jr. on rebounds basically like every possession he's he's just become a box out specialist <laughs> mm, i do you've listened to this show before haven't you you know how much <laughs> i do love my box out specialists the I, that's that's the brooke lopez commemorative season trophy <laughs> yeah it is and and the the other thing is like he's been obviously he's been playing power forward uh, closer to full time this season right. uh, last year he only played more center minutes out of necessity of course um so, but you're talking about a guy who's like 80% of his rebounds are coming three feet and out. So he's not really rebounding below the rim. Hmm. And he's kind of going to have to because if they go to Thad, he's bigger. And if they go to Daniel Gafford, he's stronger. So you've got to think the rebound number is coming up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he ha- he's had a higher rebound frequency than last year, but he's converting on fewer rebounds hmm. uh, on average, giving his opportunities. It's like that's what I've said. It's not making sense do you think you could get him for a top 75 guy right now if you were going to try to buy on him i'm I'm feeling like the answer is maybe you almost kind of have to try right yeah because i think you can get the other uh, manager to think that they're selling high uh because it is it would be selling high right now this is the highest he's been in ranking all season but it stands i mean he can maintain this ranking reasonably for another month and a half while wendell carter's out I'm looking at some of the names in that territory now because that's always my goal here is to find someone where we can mix and match and get the right pairing. Um, Terry Rozier or Lowry Markkinen? Uh, Markkinen. DeJounte Murray or Lowry Markkinen? Also Markkinen. Hmm. All right, I'm going to make it. I'm going to go up the ladder a little bit. How about Rozier's teammate, Devontae Graham, a Doreste favorite? No, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan. He's actually in the quick hit segment, uh, uh, Devontae Graham is. I think he's having the coldest stretch of his life right now. It is it is somewhat chilly. Uh, I'll give it that. <laughs> um, what if we go farther up the ladder to... Mm, Jalen Brown. Send them Jalen Brown. You yeah, do love you. to get sent out Jalen Brown. You'd rather have Laurie Martin yeah, than Jalen Brown then. Yeah, yeah. As soon as I piled on Jalen Brown uh, two weeks ago, he won Player of the Week. <laughs> <laughs> he was listening. What about Will Barton? Uh, uh, I actually believe in, in Will Barton's role this year. For some reason, they've just given him the keys uh, as a third option in that offense, and it's been working. Do you think anybody realizes that Nerlens Noel is a top 65 guy? I wasn't going to throw his name out there. I just thought it was kind of interesting that he's been that good prior to getting hurt. Uh, what about... What about D'Angelo Russell or Lowry Markkinen? I mean, ceiling play, you keep D'Angelo Russell, but I I can't trust, I, I really can't trust uh, Steve Kerr this season with, like, how do we know when this guy's going to rest or not? Agreed. Agreed. I think if you get four healthy games out of D'Lo in a row, you try to spin him for Markkinen at this point. Yeah, yeah. All right, quick but, hit me. Know- quick hit me, Pedro. What do we got? Okay, all right. So well, for, I know one uh, of them already. You already told us one of them. Yeah, well, we're going to start with that guy. All right. Uh, so for field goal percentage, I have Devontae Graham, who's been uh, ranked 68th over the past month. Uh, so, of course, as you know, he was featured here last week. 
The steals went up, as we talked about, uh, but his field goal percentage has been putrid over the past month at only 34%. So, so he, I mean, at this point, you have to admit that he'll be the worst field goal percentage guy in fantasy, but he's not going to be like a black hole for field goals either. What do like, you do with a guy like, I mean, you're buying him, it sounds like. Well, his counting stats are so good that you basically have to like accommodate him. You know, you have to build a, a, around his strengths. And I know this sounds ridiculous because he was a guy you plucked from the wire. But, you know, his assists and his three-point percentage in a year where Steph Curry's missing like pretty much the whole season, that can win you those two categories, for yeah. example. He's hitting almost four a game, eight assists, uh, over one steal now, 85% pretty good volume at the free throw line i mean the, the argument to buy here really feels like you have to say well even if he's the worst field goal percentage guy in the nba it's not going to be 32 right like it could be 38 and that would turn his last month's ranking from 80 something to like 50 something it'd be a pretty quick jump for him to just get even close to the 40 percent barrier yeah, yeah, and he jumps uh, way up uh, when you punt turnovers, which you obviously have to do with a guy like Devontae. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, so if this is his floor, you know, uh, then <laughs> I'd be pretty happy having Devontae on my team. So go get him. A, a horrible field goal percentage. Would you give up somebody who's currently ranked ahead of him to go get him in, in kind of that similar vein where looking at guys that are around his number, where is he for the season? He's like in the... 50s or 60s right what is it 67 so yeah he's in the high 60s what about guys that are ranked in front of him like we mentioned will barton a minute ago ricky rubio guys like that would you would you go the graham route and assume that he's going to jump them over the next two months well that sixth round i mean look at the names in the sixth round andrew wiggins davis bertans uh dejounte murray Derek rose uh marcus morris like those that's half of the sixth round right now I would send for uh, Devontae Graham. <laughs> what about the fifth round, though? What about would you guys that you might feel are trending down? Jalen Brown, I know you've talked about before a couple yeah. of times. Um, Barton, Rubio, Kevin Love, Thomas Bryant, D'Angelo Russell, all of these guys are a little bit ahead of him in the rankings, and I feel like you might go the Graham route with a lot of those that, yeah. that matchup. Brown or Rozier, for sure. Uh, a Ricky Rubio always scares the crap out of me, too. You know, so I know he turns it on for the second half of the season, but this year he turned it on for the first half, and now he's been getting injured. <laughs> so you would go Graham over Rubio? Yeah, yeah. Hmm, interesting. Okay, quick hit me number two. Okay, free throw percentage. Eric Bledsoe, uh, and he's actually hitting 91% over the past 15 healthy games. It's about uh, damn time, Eric. Yeah, I mean... Uh, he's 29 now. I think maybe he's 30. I don't think people become like elite free throw shooters uh, towards the latter half of their careers like that. He's even at 93% on a bloated 4.1 attempt since he came back from his injury. Yeah, that's probably not sticking. That's, you know, he had a 6 for 6 and an 8 for 8 blended in there. But I would argue he's at 83% for the season this year. He's had seasons where he's shot 80% or better at the free throw line. He had been trending down which, I don't know, almost always feels like there's a weird little injury or mental thing. So, I, I don't know. I'm, gonna, I'm on the side that he could actually end the year above 80%, but obviously 90-something isn't going to stick. Yeah, no, I'm with you. 80% on lower volume, but that's not going to be, like, that's going to be a net neutral category for him. 
his uh, his his stats are actually going to his rankings uh, around 61, and I do uh, understand that it's going to go up, but it's not going to be dependent on free throws. I think we're still waiting for those steals to show up. Yeah, we've seen a little bit of that since he's come back from injury. Those were gone before this avulsion fracture and then recovery. Like, I feel like there's regression stuff in in a mon- a bunch of different directions with this dude this year, isn't there? Like, the steals needed to come up, the free throw was needs to come down. The field goal percent is about the only thing that's in line with what he did last year. Yeah, I've been looking at his game log, and it's all over the place. Uh, but also his minutes have been all over the place, so I, I really don't know what to make of him right now. I think he finishes the year just inside the top 50. Yeah, as usual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's, He's one of the most underrated <laughs> fantasy assets year after year. So would you buy him, sell him, or do nothing? I mean, I, I'd buy him, but I'm not sure... I mean, his ranking has maintained it's I mean, you know, he's having like a bad month and he's still 61st. So I'm not sure his owner is going to think it's, a, you know, much of a selling opportunity. Either. Yeah, you might have to just match, figure out what his owner's looking for and go for just an old fashioned one for one. Not not yeah. try to pry it off of him. Just say, hey, this is a guy, you know, like make the argument to the other owner. I need a guard with a good field goal percent. And I think he's going to get a few more steals or something like that. And, and maybe they'll exchange for a similar wing or big man somebody ranked in that same territory where maybe you've got a a, the Bledsoe owner right now needs a a rebound kick or or a blocks kick or something like that where you'll probably just have to exchange categories and then you say all right well I hope that my guy that Bledsoe outperforms the guy that I'm sending away but don't try to make it an old-fashioned thieving I guess is the way to put it um all right who's next uh, I mean, I think this has been talked about a bunch in the national media, but LaMarcus Aldridge's three-pointers. Yeah, what the hell? There's a lot of them. Yeah, apparently all he needed was Pop's permission. <laughs> that's it. And now he's at uh, 2.6 over the past two weeks, 1.6 over the past month. Uh, the thing is, like, he's a career 30% three-point shooter, and, and he was a 30% three-point shooter you know, two years ago as well uh, when he shot, like, a bunch of almost won a game. So, uh, yeah, he's not going to stick at this level of production, although I'm glad that he's taking them. Yeah, it's totally changed his his fantasy game. Do we know, this is where I need your your big juicy brain, do we know if this is happening at the expense of high percentage shots, or is this happening at the expense of long twos? Has he give, been given the Andrew Wiggins treatment to just say, LaMarcus, take a half step farther away, stop taking these 22-footers and shoot from 24 and get an extra point. Like, do we yeah. know if the efficient... if Because his field goal percent is still at 51, even though his three-point tries are going up, and I have to think it's because he hasn't actually Im- increased the difficulty of his shots that much. Yeah, you think he's uh, posting up around the three-point line and shooting turnaround jumpers from there? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> right? Like, so I, I guess my question is, like, are his twos getting easier as a result of his increases in threes is he eliminating his hard two-point shots uh well it it looks like he's actually uh decreased his uh overall efficiency from two this year but his you know efficiency from three Hmm. he nearly doubled it from last year interesting so i would assume that he's cutting i haven't looked at the hard stats yet but i assume that he's cutting off those uh long twos what i would be interested in is seeing if these are spot-up opportunities or if he's actually 
you know, looking for the, the shots himself, which mm. he's always been a good shot getter from the mid range. Yeah, absolutely. That we, I mean, you said it already, that turnaround is sort of, that's his signature thing. It reminds me of the old Rashid Wallace one where the ball is never gets down below about nine feet in the air during, <laughs> during, during the turnaround process. I, I would, I think you could make a pretty comical video of me trying to get a fingertip on the bottom edge of a LaMarcus Aldridge shot attempt. That that thing never comes down into an area where I could even reach it if he just held it there for a half an hour. Uh, so what do you think? I mean, you know, he's taking a lot of them. He's making a lot of them. Is it that big of a deal if his, you know, two threes a game over the last month come down to like 1.2? Does that change things a ton for him? Uh, well, it gives him a, a higher floor because he doesn't have a very balanced uh, fantasy game right mm. now. You know, it's very caught up in points, rebounds, and apparently blocks, because he's also, like, super good at getting blocks now, all of a sudden, at, at the ripe old age of 34. Yeah, I don't know what that's all about. I have to think, and I haven't watched a ton of Spurs games, but I gotta think some of them are the strip-on-the-way-up blocks, <laughs> right? You know, the like the, the block that Chris Paul gets credited for every once in a while, although there have been a few at the top. I've seen, he's, um, He's he's ball chasing a little bit more this year than in seasons past, and I wonder if it's it's because maybe he's playing a little bit more center. But yeah, it's definitely up. I mean, you know me. I have I have so many Lamarcus Aldridges on my teams. As you know, he's one of my favorite old man guys. Oh, I dance, did not dance old man. Yep, and <laughs> I did not expect three pointers. This was not what I thought was going to be the case. Over the last month, he's inside the top ten. Yeah. So he has to be a sell high guy, right? Because he's 30 yeah. and a half. Yeah, as much as I love him, top 10 is probably not going to stick for the rest of the season. Can you get enough for him? He's just such a boring name. This is the problem with the Dan Bespers old man squad. You can't sell high on them because nobody, everybody's just like, oh, yeah, that old guy. I mean, <laughs> I would take anybody back inside the, inside the top 20 for sure for him right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I, I'd send that off for uh, Aldridge for somebody like Bradley Beal. Uh, I know a lot of people are scared off of uh, Bradley Beal, but if he proved anything last year, is that he's willing to finish out a season. Looking uh, at some of the other names right around him, because for the season he's number 15, Vooch is locked in real tight with him there. I don't know if that would be able something you could pull off. Paul George, Jimmy Butler... Clint Capella, I'd probably take any of those guys over LaMarcus, and everybody knows how much I love LaMarcus Aldridge. I would as well, but I think I've tr- I've offered every single one of those trades, and they've been yeah. rejected. I had Aldridge in, in pretty much all of my teams this year. Yeah, once you draft these old men who just plod along at a really nice clip, you're usually stuck with them for the duration. Because <laughs> no, yeah. nobody believes they're going to stay healthy all year, and then they just keep performing. So you, and if he keeps hitting his threes, he's going to play until he's 55, apparently. Yep. So you know what, Pedro? As one LaMarcus Aldridge rosterer <laughs> to another, just enjoy the ride. Quiet, yep. quiet though it may be. It's a roller coaster that's just a flat track in a perfect circle. Uh, <laughs> who's, the, who's the next guy? The next one is pretty obvious, but just a reminder. It's DeAndre Ayton's points. He's ranked 42, and he's sitting at 154 uh, for the season after averaging 19 points as a rookie. Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, he's uh, hitting only 55% on shots, you know, 3 to 10 feet, and he was at 68% on those last season. And, you know, if you've seen his interviews, he's like, oh, I'm rusty, I gotta get my, uh, uh, I gotta get my mojo back or whatever, but it's been what? Uh, it's been a few games already. 
So but you're 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 telling me to buy, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Those points okay. those points are going up, you know. Uh, Phoenix is going nowhere fast. We know what DeAndre Ayton can do. This power forward experiment hasn't been a failure so far, but rest assured that it will be. I don't know how he he convinced uh, 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 Monty Williams to play him there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, once he gets his mojo back, uh, uh, I think he'll be closer to that 19, 18 point per game mark. Would you take LaMarcus Aldridge or DeAndre Ayton? Oh, I'd take DeAndre Ayton. There's one. There's one. There you go. You See, I knew we could do it. <laughs> who's, ne- who's next <laughs> on the list? Uh, the next one is PJ. Oh, sorry. PJ Tucker's rebounds. Uh, they've been high and low. Yeah. I mean, I, they've been high at times and low at times. Yeah, he's all over the place. And I know you're a P.J. Tucker apologist, but for the past uh, month, he's uh, ranked 166. For yeah, it's been, it's been a, a tough month. He did have one really big ball game a um, couple days this ago. Week? Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, wh- what can you say? He's a, he's a Roto favorite, but he's at 8.7 rebounds over the past month. He's For his career, he's at 5.8, and he's never played this amount of minutes, but... Uh, you know, his fantasy value is only holding on by a thread due to these inflated rebounds and low turnovers. Uh, you remove the rebounds and you got like a turnover, a low turnover specialist. He's a negative literally everywhere else the past month. Yeah, it's been a tough month since the Russ Harden do all the things stuff started <laughs> happening. Um, I still I still think Tucker, he goes through these these prolonged quiet stretches. You can find this in almost every season in Houston. Um, I would argue that his three-pointers will actually come back up here in the next little bit. Because he went through a stretch of five or six games in a row where he didn't hit any three-pointers. Yeah, and, and the steals. I mean, he's always been a good steals guy yeah. the, his, his entire career. It's just that the the rebounds have been way, way up this, yeah. this season. <laughs> Thank, goodness. So. Thank goodness for that, because the other stuff is in a, a deep hole right now. I would still advise a hold on him, because you know that even if the rebounds come down one or two, the steals and the threes will come back up. So I think that'll be okay. Yeah, uh, he's one of those guys where he does a little bit of everything, but not at once, you know? That's true. Well, well said. A little bit of everything, but never at the same time. Who's the, uh, who's the assist guy on your quick hitters? Okay, well, this is uh, another one uh, similar to Laurie Markkinen that he's going to benefit from injury. It's Al Horford's assists. Uh, so for the past month, he's ranked uh, 114, and his assists currently sit at a four-year low with only 3.8. Uh, and he's been even worse over the past month at uh, 3.5. So I think this Embiid usage vacuum will leave him with a chance uh, to at least meet his Celtics averages in the short term. Tough to do much with him in this spot, right? Because everybody knows that Embiid's out. So anybody that has Horford is going to be like, oh, sweet, I've got a guy who's just got a massive bump. And anybody that doesn't, if you tried to go get him, the team that has him is going to make you overpay. Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit, it's, it's a bit late to act on it. He's still... a a buy low, and I think maybe an, uh, an you can find the manager that's like gonna outsmart himself and and, and mm. sell him off, thinking that this is a sell high moment because MB got hurt, and you might still get get a value out of uh, trading for Al. Hmm. All right, fair enough. Uh, steals. Who's next on the list? So for steals, steal defensive stats are always weird. So uh, this month it's gonna be Zach Levine steals. He's at thirty two. He's sitting at 1.7 for the month, uh, yet he's not even within the first top 150 players in deflections per game, and he's playing 34 minutes. Yikes! So that uh, number's coming down. 
yeah, it's a it's a total fluke. Maybe he's been, you know, <laughs> I, I don't even know how he's been getting them. Maybe uh, there's a statistician in, in Chicago who's doing him favors, trying to push him into the All-Star game. But yeah, 1.7, he's never been anywhere close to that for his career. Sell high guy? Yeah, he was a sell high anyway. Take the steals away, and he's still he's still a bit of a sell high. He's been incredible <laughs> over the past uh, couple of weeks. All right, fair enough. Go get something. Go get what you can for Zach Levine. And the last one on the list, who is our final quick hitter? Uh, this is uh, Janice Antetokounmpo's blocks. Uh, he's at 15 for the last month, and that uh, he's been around that range for the whole season. But he seems that seems low for him, even with the terrible free throw. But it's not only the, the free throw that's keeping him as a second-round value. It's a six-year low in blocks. He's only at .8 over the past month, 1.1 for the season. So that's coming back up, you feel? It has to come up a little bit. Of course, this, I have to condition that statement because uh, you know he's con- contesting the same amount of shots, and he's actually allowing the worst field goal at the rim. So he's been one of the best or the best defender at the rim. I think uh, Brooke Lopez is in second place, so... Milwaukee's a tough out. Yeah, uh, I think Robin Lopez is in that list too, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's completely <laughs> nuts. Milwaukee gives up nothing. So uh, I think it's due for positive regression. He's not going to be a huge blocks guy, but he can get you the, the 1.2 to 1.4 range for the season if his health allows. He's already been uh, dealing with like some back spasms and you know some uh, 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 like a slight knee injury. So I'm just a little bit worried. He looked kind of slow in the last game. He seems like a difficult guy to go get in fantasy, too, because whoever has him is still going to treat him like a top four asset, even though with the free throws, he's just not getting to that mark. No, he's going to, I mean, if you trade for this guy, he's going to change the the profile of your team entirely. So this is like, if you're low in in the standings and you have to make like a big move, this is a guy to maybe target. Maybe you can use this against uh, uh, as a to convince the other o- owner to sell. The thing is, uh, you know, in the last few weeks, uh, people who have heard this pod, they tell me that I always pick obscure players. Well, here you go. Here's a top 15 yeah, guy. Yeah, not, not so much this time. Uh, <laughs> we got Bledsoe, LaMarcus, Aiton, Horford, Levine, and Giannis among the list of the, the quick hitters. Those are not obscure names. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was also deliberate because I'm, um, you know, uh, the stats are finally stabilizing. We're at that halfway mark, so I just wanted to check in with our studs. <laughs> yeah, for well, this episode. that makes sense. Pedro, thank you, sir. Uh, what what can I say besides keep the change? I guess. Yeah, keep the change, and uh, I'll see you in two weeks. You know it. He is Pedro Doreste at Pedro N Doreste on Twitter. He is. An editor here at Hoopball. Fantastic work as always, my man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See you, Dan. Big thank you as always to Pedro Doreste. Pedro N. Doreste on Twitter. And that's your Monday pod. That was a big one, wasn't it? Goodness gracious. Uh, I don't think they're all going to be this long this week, but I am very excited once again to remind you to check out today in sports betting, the brand new Hoopball betting podcast. That's the big news at Hoopball Gaming is that website coming up later this week on Fantasy NBA Today. We'll likely be talking to our good buddy Brandon Marcus. We'll see if we can either get Coach or uh, possibly Alan Soroki back on the show and do a little uh, check-in with those two cats. If not, no worries. we got plenty of fantasy stuff to talk about. Quick lightning round reminder here at the end of the pod. Hit me up if you want to be a contributor here. We're looking for blurbers. Drop that five-star review uh, and uh, 
I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but whatever, doesn't matter. Just check out the new podcast. That's the re- that's the one thing I really want to stress right now. And go open up that account at mybookie.ag. Have a great Monday, everybody. Trying to do a quick wrap up here after a long pod. Talk to you tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.